I cannot stand when people say, I can't imagine how you do it. I always want to pause and be like, no, really, like, put yourself in my shoes. Like, stand here. Here, wear my sandals. Not really, because I don't like people's feet, and I don't like my own feet, and I don't want our feet to share sandals. But mentally, put yourself in my shoes. Imagine a day in my shoes. Are you imagining? Okay. Now, I want you to imagine that you are the caregiver, which most of you are, but then you are also needing the care. Today's guest is incredibly unique because not only is she a 20-something who is taking on the world and what's the saying? Kicking butt and taking names. I know the saying isn't but, but Claire also has a medical condition that has really controlled a lot of her life recently and changed her life and put things upside down. At the same time, Claire is taking care of her mother. And this episode talks a lot about relationships and strength and to just keep going. And also we talk about how Claire started a nonprofit and we talk about how I creepy stalked her on the internet and became her friend. So there's that. Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and the people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as the darker days and colder temperatures begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We are here to help you share your story, let you laugh, let you cry, help you learn and help you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. What Autumn Comes podcast is a program of the Apricity Hope Project, a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and special needs children. You can learn more about our project at apricityhope.org. Okay, so you guys, I am so excited. Today we do not have a, well, you are a caregiver in some ways too. I was going to say we have yeah. <laughs> the daughter or I'm, I'm so excited for everybody to meet Claire. Claire and I met when I I uh, stalked you on the internet, and <laughs> I think one of our moms shared a care package that you sent her daughter, and I think, because we'll get into what you do, but I think I saw your project that way, and I was like, oh, I got to talk to this girl. So Claire, welcome to When Autumn Comes. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to be here. Yeah. So let's start. You want to just tell a little bit about you and what kind of brought you here? Sure. Yeah. So basically I have chronic Lyme disease, which is a chronic illness and it's a bacterial infection that it can affect you in any way, shape or form. It's a spiral shaped bacteria and it can drill into any organ system in your body. And it really, it can really just tear apart every organ system in your body if that's what it wants to do. 
And my journey kind of started when I was about 16, I would say, because my mom actually got diagnosed with Lyme. I was probably about 17 when she got her diagnosis, but her health just plummeted, went downhill when I was 16. And she kind of had health problems on and off with me growing up, but then 16 is when she just didn't get better. Like she went down and it didn't get better. And there were lots of times that like, I was in high school at the time, so there were lots of times I thought, you know, am I going to go home from school and is my mom even going to be alive at this point? Because she was just so sick and she was just so not functioning at that Mm -hmm. point. And so after that, I, you know, went on with my life and tried to go through high school the best I could. I graduated high school, went to college, and then my health plummeted. And when I was at college, all my symptoms came on and things just got really bad as far as my health goes. And so I actually quit college about three quarters into the semester. So all that work I did was for nothing. (laughs) And (laughs) I came home and I just basically stepped onto the hardest path of my life, which was to heal from this illness. Mm -hmm. And now you are how many years into this? Yeah, so now I'm about seven years into this. So I am 26 years old now. And it's it's been quite the battle. I am doing so much better now. My health has greatly improved. I spent about three years bedridden and homebound just doing treatments. My whole life was doing treatments. It was like doing treatments and sleeping and eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my whole life for about three years. And this was the whole life when your, your age group is supposed to be out going to college and yes. doing all the things and you're at home bedridden and sleeping. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I tell all my friends that are younger than me that like... I missed all of the years that you're getting right now. I missed all of them. Like, I didn't get that in my life. And so I came home and I just got on these treatments. And I I really kind of had the attitude from the beginning that I I wanted to get well. Like, I always planned to go back to college, which is hilarious. I'm never going back to college now. (laughs) But I always planned to go back. And I just wanted, I wanted to get well. And so I was like, I'm going to get well. And this is, this is the path I'm going to get on. I'm not going to be sick for forever. And There is an acceptance that I think I had to have where I had to stop pretending like I was a normal single adult because I wasn't. And going and hanging out with friends and then feeling for, you know, two hours and feeling like I'm dying (laughs) the next three days, it wasn't worth it after a while. (laughs) And so I had to have an acceptance. So there's an acceptance, but then there was also, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for my life. And so that's what I did. And so now I'm doing a lot better. We actually made a move to the country so that I could get better. And I work on a farm now. And the fact that I can even work on a farm and that I have like muscle to actually do stuff on a farm is really, really amazing and just a huge blessing in my life. The past year is the first year I've actually been able to hold down a job and to feel like I can get back to my life. So that's been really amazing. And that's about where I'm at now with my health. And so the whole time you were battling this, your mom was also still battling it? Or were you taking care of her and she was taking care of you? Like, how is that working? Yes. Oh, the caregiver dynamic when everybody is sick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting because it, it shifted for me all along the way. When I was in high school, I was a kid. Like, I didn't understand. I knew, like, it was bad. I knew it was really bad what my mom was going through. But I was a kid, so I didn't, like, perceive it the same way that I do now. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, I got to get through high school. I got to graduate high school. I got to, you know, I can't flunk out of high school because this this is really bad in my life right now. 
So I kind of, I actually lived with my siblings for a few months. I didn't take on a caregiver role right away because I wasn't old enough. I just didn't know what I was doing. So I I lived with my siblings for quite, quite some time. My parents were moving from house to house. We had a lot of environmental triggers in the house that we were living in. So we had to like leave in the middle of the night. And I was with siblings here and there. And my siblings would take me to school. I didn't have my driver's license because nobody had time to do driver's ed at that point. <laughs> and so it was just crazy. So then there was a shift when I got sick because all of a sudden, you know, at like 15, 16, 17, I was fairly independent other than the fact that I couldn't drive, but I had friends that could drive. Mm -hmm. So like I could do a lot of things. And then all of a sudden, age 18, 19, 20, I need my parents more now when I'm 18, 19, and 20 than I did when I was 14, 15, 16, 17. And that was a really hard shift for me because all of a sudden you go from this place where I'm functioning to... I need help to walk to the bathroom or I need help getting out of the bathtub or I need help just like eating. (laughs) All of a sudden you're like robbed of all the things that make you an adult. Well, and you were like super adulting at a young age and then it was all stopped and taken away from you because of your health. I mean, like you didn't go from being an average 16 year old Minus the driver's license bit. But, you know, you (laughs) were like super adulting at 16. And then it was a complete 180. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I actually went to a private school in high school. I went to a private Christian school. And so I was doing college level work. Like I had to write a 20 page thesis and like defend it in front of adjudicators. I was totally doing (laughs) college level work in high school. And so it was just. That was way hard for me to all of a sudden just realize I cannot do this by myself. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was pretty stubborn. Like I had moments where I was really sick and I was like, I can get up and go to the bathroom myself. It'll be fine. So get up, go to the bathroom, walk out of the bathroom, pass out on the kitchen floor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, okay, never mind. (laughs) Can't do that by myself. And so I was pretty stubborn. I still tried to be independent, but it was really hard. And so my dad had to jump into caregiver role tenfold for both me and my mom, because me and my mom were both horribly sick at this time. And my mom was starting to show some improvement. Our first treatment that we got on, it kept her alive. That's Mm -hmm. what I chalk that up to. It kept her alive. And I was on the same treatment and it kept me alive, but it was really hard. It was not an easy treatment. And I actually had two beds in my bedroom when I came home from college so that when I was really sick, my dad could sleep in the twin bed on the other side of the room to monitor me. So dad would go back and forth between like their room and my room and just make sure that we're both like alive and breathing still. Yeah. (laughs) And so it was really insane for a while there where dad just really, my dad is, he's a prince. He just stepped in. He takes care of us. He cooked all the meals. My dad had to step into this role of he ran a business for our whole growing up years. I'm the youngest of my family. So there's like a whole bunch of kids before me. (laughs) He ran a business. He was bringing home the bacon every day. And all of a sudden he had to quit everything. He had to, my brother took over our business. He had to quit being a bishop in our church. He had to quit doing all these things so that he could take care of me and mom and actually It was really amazing that I've learned since then there are not very many men that would do that for you. Yeah. So the fact that my dad did that was amazing. And so now there's this dynamic where I'm getting better. And my mom 
she it's like ebb and flow. She gets better for a little while. Then for a while, she she broke her arm last year, and that was like huge trigger for her, where now she has this broken arm, and then all the Lyme symptoms come back. And so we all just take turns. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's dad doing the caregiving, and sometimes it's me doing the caregiving. And it we just take turns. Like, I'm out running the farm. Dad's in cooking the meals. I'm in cooking the meals. Dad's out running the farm. It's just, mm-hmm. it's all just a big team effort. People are always ask us, how do you manage everything? How do you do everything that you guys do? It's just a giant team effort. Like, when I'm down, my mom makes the sacrifice, whether her head is pounding or not, mm-hmm. to, like, pull me out of a bathtub if that's what I need. Mm-hmm. And when my mom's down, I make the sacrifice to stay up with her at 4 in the morning if that's what it takes. And so we all just take turns with the caregiving. And I think the one thing that chronic illness has really taught me is that more than anything else, it's the people in your life that matter. Like your college education does not matter when your mom is dying. Okay. Your career that you're chasing after, it doesn't matter if you don't have your health. Okay. Like it's the people in your life that matter most. And so Love the people that you have because you don't know how long you're going to have them for. Absolutely. And I think that's the mindset that I adopted as I got older is I realized that like, you know what, all this stuff that all these young people say are important, it's not important. Like what's important is that I've got the people I love in my life and I'm loving them and they're loving me. And at the end of the day, if you're doing that, you're going to feel full at the end of the day. I'm going to say this and... People say this to me all the time, and I just roll my eyes because I'm not good at compliments. I'm not good at taking compliments. (laughs) Apparently, as I bumble my words through, I'm not good at giving compliments either. But you are an incredible human, and you are doing what you have to do. Like, you know, I hate when people say to me, I don't know how you do it. And it's like, we don't really have a choice. Like, you just have to. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no option. There's, you know, I have a lot of family, and it's interesting to see the different reactions Mm -hmm. (laughs) to illness and unfortunately there are people that they just decide that they don't want anything to do with someone that is sick and to me that is so sad because you're missing out on this beautiful relationship that you can have with this person who could offer you so much maybe they can't offer you stuff physically but they're offering you love and a depth to life that you've never even seen before in your life and so And I feel like a bunch of my mom listeners right now can 100% agree with, yeah, with our our disabled children who you know, Mm -hmm. the world sees them and they scare away because they're nonverbal or they can't walk or talk and do things the rest of us can do. And I will admit, I've said it a hundred times on this show probably when I first found out before I had Lorelai. When I first found out, I was, it was like two days before the emergency C-section. They were like, something is wrong with your daughter. And Mm -hmm. she has, they gave me a different condition, which would have been far better than what we actually ended up with. But you're like, she has this condition and we'll know more once she's born. And I just remember sobbing and being like, I don't want to be a special needs mom. Like, I don't know what mm-hmm. to do. This is scary. I don't know this. Right. This isn't what everybody else's lives look like. And yeah. here you are doing it as a college student going, this isn't what everybody else's lives look like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but to make that choice to stay in someone's life who is suffering like that, that's the best choice you could ever make. Like, yeah. in my opinion, 
I wouldn't trade it. You know, I told my mom this when she broke her eyes. She's like, now I'm even more useless than I was before. I'm like, mom, you're not useless. You are being a beacon of light in my life because I get a chance to take care of you and to love you. And that's going to teach me as a young person how to take care of my husband someday and how to take care of my children someday. And for all I know, all my kids could have Lyme disease. Like, you know, but I am equipped. I am equipped to deal with that. Whereas most young people, they're not equipped to deal with that. Like one hard thing is going to take take them down because they haven't experienced that. And for that, I'm grateful for the hard experience. We're all going to have hard experiences at some point in our lives. But for me, it just happened young and I'm grateful for it because it's added to my depth of character that I never, ever had before. When I was in high school, I felt the same way that you probably felt when you were pregnant. I just felt like, I don't know what to do Mm -hmm. for my mom who can barely speak because she's in so much pain, but I had to learn and I learned by staying. I learned by choosing to stay. I didn't learn by walking away, by going and living my life and like, oh, yeah, my mom's sick, but I don't really go there. No, no, no. I I learned by staying. I had to stay. And that's what changed everything for me in my life. So tell me, this is going to be a two-part question. Because you and your mom have the same disease, what is that bond like? And then what is the bond like with your dad who has slept in the bed next to you to take care of you? And I guess, I mean, you are like a dual role in this being a caregiver and the one who needs Mm -hmm. the care. But if you look at these bonds that you have with both of them, what is it like? Yes. So me and my mom are, my mom is my best friend by far. She's the one that puts up with all my crap and all of my illness. And even just, I mean, even just the past year for me, it's all been like trauma healing. Like physically I'm doing so much better, but like my mind has been a wreck just healing from all the hard stuff that I've gone through in the past seven years of my life. And my mom is the one that is there for me and listens to me about the most ridiculous things. (laughs) And I do the same thing for her. Like we are just so insanely close. And there's just this bond that I, I just, don't see very many mothers and daughters having, but it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for it. And my relationship with my dad is also a lot deeper because, you know, my dad was always the breadwinner. He goes to work every day and he brings home the bread. Okay. (laughs) But then it just, it changed. Like, and my dad is like the one man in my life that like I trust with my life because he's proved to me that I can trust him. And again, like I'll say this again, there aren't very many men out there that are like this, okay? But my dad, he proves himself every single day and he never complains. Like, I don't even know how dad does it. If I don't feel good, he just gets in there, makes the meals. He doesn't complain. And I'm sure he does complain in his head. Like, we're all human, (laughs) okay? Like, he's just so, like, steadfast and stalwart. Like, he's like, a rock that I know that I can lean on. And then also just him encouraging me. I mean, even when I was sick, dad was still teaching me like the basic principles of being an adult. This is how you get a bank (laughs) account. This is how you use your credit card. This is how you do this. It's such a dad thing to do, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I'm so grateful because even though I was, you know, sick as an adult, I was still learning like things I need to know as an adult so that when I get better, I'm not 25 years old now and I don't even know how to use a credit card (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he was teaching me those things. And he still does that with me on the farm. I don't know how to farm. Like (laughs) I'm not, I'm not good at farming. (laughs) And, but dad just sits there and he patiently 
teaches me because he knows that I have what it takes to take over this farm someday. And that's what I hope to do. I hope to manage the farm someday, just full time. You're like, I don't know what farming is, but I hope to take it over. (laughs) Pretty much. Like, that's how I'm going into this career. And my dad is the most patient man on the planet because when I don't know how to use a screw gun, he's teaching me how to use it. (laughs) And so that's really just built that bond too. And just knowing that, you know, Dad's got me. He's always going to have me. Even if, you know, down the road when I have a husband and, you know, dad, dad's going to have me no matter what. And I'm just, I'm really grateful for that because I just haven't experienced that with too many men. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just really good. And also just the ability to laugh with each other. Mm-hmm. That has been huge in that my funny side comes out with my parents. It probably doesn't you come out with funny? No. too many people. <laughs> Okay, well, my like ridiculously funny side comes out with my parents and we just we keep each other laughing and that that's healing all by itself. So it's just it's been a really horrible journey, but also amazing journey as far as our relationships go. And I think a lot of people in this community, whether you are the one needing the care or the one giving the care, I think a lot of us can agree, agree to Hmm. What's I was going to say agree to disagree, but I think we can all agree that this can be an ugly, ugly journey. And yes. that, you know, like you and I can sit here and be like, I can be like, my kids are beautiful. And you're like, my bond with my family is wonderful. Well, <laughs> Just because yes. we're saying this doesn't mean that we haven't had hard times. Somebody recently said to me, the thing I like about your podcast is that you are super real on it. Like you don't sugarcoat things and you talk about all sides of the story. And I think, you know, you and I can say and be like, this is, this is beautiful. And, (laughs) and you just have to keep going because that's what we have to do and pick grace over hate. And, but there are days where I'm sure your dad just wanted to like go out on the farm and sit by himself. (laughs) Be like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Since we're going to hit reality now, (laughs) there are days that, like, me and my parents, we fight. And the only reason why we're fighting is for no other reason than that we're all in pain and we all hate everything that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And those are the days that dad goes out on the farm and goes by himself. And I go and I do my crafts for the Chronically Care Project by myself. And my mom reads her books by herself. And, you know, that's what we do to cope with it. And then you're getting into even the hardship the illness itself. We're talking about screaming in the middle of the night because you're in Mm -hmm. so much pain. We're talking about having a seizure and having to like hold your loved one through their seizure because what else do you do? Yeah. Okay. We're talking about like cleaning up puke on a daily basis because that's part of it. Okay. We're talking about running your loved one to the bathroom and helping them get to the bathroom in time so that they can get to the bathroom. Like, my parents have peeled me off the floor. They have pulled me out of the bathtub when I'm half passed out. They have... My dad used to walk me around the house when I was in extreme pain because when I have really bad pain, laying down makes it worse. So he used to just, like... He was, like, half dragging me around the house because I couldn't really walk well either. But he used to just walk me around the house. Like, all these things, they're so traumatic and they're so hard, like... I'm at this point in my life that now when my mom is in pain, my head is just like, oh my goodness, when is this going to stop? Like, when is this going to stop? When is it going to be over? Because one more memory of like screaming in pain is going to break me. I can't, I can't do this anymore. But the reality 
that I want people to realize is that even when you feel like I can't do this anymore, you can like know that you can, because I've made it through a hundred percent of my horrible days and my mom's made it through a hundred percent of her and horrible mm-hmm. nights. And there's like so, so, so many of those yeah. just know that you'll make it through because like there's so many times, even like right now in my life that I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is way too hard, Yeah, but you can, you can do it. And it's funny because even just having like a friend tell me like, you got this, you can do this. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, I can do this because we can, we do it. We do it every day. And there's many, many, many of us in the same situation that we're all doing it and we're making it through and we're still here. And as long as we're still here, as long as our heart is still beating in our chest, we'll make it through. (laughs) As long as we can go sit by ourselves on a farm, we can do this. (laughs) Pretty much. As long as I can go go in my field and scream, then I'm my fine. My farm like- <laughs> is Starbucks. So uh, <laughs> as long as I can go to the Starbucks drive through and get a venti-sized coffee and sit by myself in my car for a few minutes, that is my farm. That's fair. Um, that is fair. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, like I said in the beginning, I saw, I can't remember who it was, someone shared one of your you do care package drops for those with chronically ill conditions. I think I said that wrong, but you do care packages. (laughs) And one of the moms that is in our when autumn comes community had shared something that you sent to her child. Now tell me Mm -hmm. what you do because, or tell the listeners what you do because I creepy stalked you on the internet and emailed you and was like, (laughs) we need to talk. I need to pick your brain and we are going to be friends. So tell everybody what you do. <laughs> yes, I send care packages to people who are chronically ill and disabled all over the US. The thing I think that makes my care package program unique is that most a big percentage of the things that I put in care packages are handmade. I hand make probably about 400 to 500 items per batch of 100 care packages. And then we also just have this like beautiful community of people who are also hand making items for these packages all over the US. And so that's that's what I do in a nutshell. And so you send packages. How many packages do you send out a year? So I send, every time I do it, I send out 100. And so last year I sent out 400 care packages total. This year my goal is 500. Really hoping I can achieve that goal. So, you know, I just, I want to keep doing more and more because every time I send a batch, like the need grows like tenfold. Everyone's like, oh, I need this because this is magical and amazing. And what you're not saying is that you make each care package for each person. Yeah. So you have them fill out a survey or an application Mm -hmm. and then you go off of what they like and you make it just for that person. Yes, pretty much. So like when I'm making items, I make, I, I hand make items that are every color, every design, every animal, every, like I try to just do this giant montage of stuff like even if I like okay I'm not a fan of cats but I've realized (laughs) that we have a lot of people that like cats so I've started making cat stuff and I'm like this is so weird I don't like cats (laughs) but like I try to just do this giant montage of stuff so that I have enough stuff that everybody's gonna like and then I read their application I try to personalize it according to their favorite animals their favorite colors their favorite things their hobbies who they are um a lot of the feedback I've received from people is that they feel like they opened up a package from their best friend. And that's what I really want to hold on to. I want to keep that because 
that's just awesome. Like, who wouldn't want to open up a package from their best friend? Especially when I feel like acts of kindness are so rare in our world. I feel like people feel awkward being kind to other people. Mm-hmm. Which is completely not how it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be. Yeah, like, it's it's so weird to me how I live in two worlds. So, like, when I'm in the chronic illness community, it's so normal to, like, when I'm kind to someone, it's normal and wonderful. But then, like, in real life, you're afraid to be kind to someone because what if they think it's weird? Like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. So, but there's not a lot of kindness that is spread to people who are chronically ill. Like, most of us are lonely. We are heartbroken. We are just feeling, like, at our wits' end. And just something as simple as a care package that was made just for you, that just, like, makes your whole day. It makes your whole life. One of the posts you shared was from a girl who was bedridden, I believe. And it mm-hmm. was something like, you know, I I saw, I, I don't remember exactly what it said, but I saw all of the items that you handpicked for her in her bed with her. And it just like, it warmed my heart so much to see because that girl probably has a mom who is like me and is mm-hmm. like, somebody thought about my, my daughter. Somebody sent her stuff that she loves. It just, it means so much. So thank you for what you're doing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said a zero to 99 or something like that are the ages that you send for, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've thought about... Sorry you know, if you're 100, mi- but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about limiting age groups, simplifying, making things easier, sending to only certain illnesses. I've rolled all these things over in my head. At the end of the day... I can't reject anybody. Like when someone comes to me and they're like, I would love a care package. I'm dying. Like I'm this age, I'm that age, male, female. I can't reject them. Like I just can't do it. So like I've literally, cause I rarely have like guy stuff. Cause we don't have very many guys apply for care packages. But when I have a batch where I have like five guys that have applied for a care package, I actually go to the store and I buy <laughs> men's things mm-hmm. for these guys because I'm like, I can't reject anybody. I, last time, my parents, they purchased a whole bunch of kids' toys because I had so many kids. and I, I didn't have enough stuff for kids. And so they donated a whole bunch of kids' toys to the packages. And so there's just – I just can't limit it. So I do any age – male, female, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're suffering from chronic illness or disability in any way, like we want to serve you. We want to love you. We want you to know that you're not alone. You're not fighting this alone. The best part of this project is that I try to put items in it that you're going to use all the time. You're going to see all the time. And so it's a constant reminder that like you're using your water bottle and you're knowing that you're loved or you're, you know, putting your inspirational quote or bible verse on your dresser and you're seeing and you're knowing the that your pillow loved. case that you mentioned is brilliant yeah i love uh, we we hand make all, me and my dad actually hand make those pillowcases together wow <laughs> and so it helps us to bond and it's really funny because dad <laughs> he's sitting out in the middle of the farm sewing pillowcases <laughs> and like i just can't be around claire right now <laughs> Maybe so. I don't know. But his first pillowcase, it took him like two weeks to make because he ruined it. Like he tried to do this decorative stitch that like it just ruined the whole pillowcase. But he was like, this fabric is expensive. I'm going to like seam rip all this. (laughs) So we joke that his first pillowcase took him like seven days to make. (laughs) Well, he's improved greatly since then. (laughs) But like, it's just, it, it helps us to bond and... I, I appreciate that he does that for the project anyway. So now, shameless plug on my end is that you and I together 
can like take over the world and with kindness. Yes. So like you are taking care of the chronically ill and disabled and I am taking care with the Apricity Hope Project. I'm taking yes. care of the caregivers of the medically complex and disabled kiddos. So it just covers everyone. I know care packages yes. and love for everyone. Woo-hoo, um, like, yeah, we aren't quite as big as you yet, but we <laughs> are doing care packages. We did our first drop for holiday 2022 and we are working on a Valentine drop because, you know, everybody deserves a little love. And yes. So when is your next, your, when is your next drop? Yeah, my next batch of applications launches on February 11th. I would highly, highly recommend that if you guys are interested in receiving a care package or applying for your child, that you do it that day. I filled up in 24 hours my last batch of applications. So they fill up really fast, but they usually don't fill up in less than 24 hours. So don't feel like you need to get on like <laughs> the second the timer. Timer. <laughs> I don't know. When autumn comes is a hopping podcast. You never know. We're not that hopping. So like... <laughs> Maybe. I just know some people message me and they're concerned that they're going to like miss the slot. Don't worry. Like they, it will be open for at least 24 hours. <laughs> like you don't need to do like on the dot. If you're sharing this with your listeners, our caregiver drop, our next one is going to be our application opens on January 20th. So we are, we need a little more time than you. We aren't quite as organized. <laughs> So we're going to we're going to hopefully send out care packages the week before Valentine's. So if there's any nice. one on your end listening that are caregivers, yes. they can check us out, too. And we'll have yes. all the links and, in the show notes. Yes. And I actually have to say, I've actually had a lot of people reach out to me about like, if I'm a caregiver, can I apply for a care package? And this is really great because now I can refer them to you. And so that's awesome. Well, we're not doing a hundred yet, so <laughs> you will get Don't there. Don't send you me a hundred. <laughs> I'll try not to, but no promises. <laughs> well, Claire, we wrap up every episode with one question, and some people struggle with it, and some people are super quick with it. But I am curious to hear the question for you: Is what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Oh. There's just so many things. That's a heavy question. But I think at the end of the day, for me, what gives me hope, what originally inspired me to do care packages is that I knew that there were a lot of people that didn't feel loved at the end of the day. And for me, I find my love in Jesus Christ and in God. And I wanted people to feel the love of God in their care packages because my love is actually not enough for them to feel because I'm a human. But God is all-knowing, and he's all-loving, and he he is no respecter of persons. So no matter who you are, where your illness is, what you struggle with, he is there with open arms to love you and to guide you in your life. And for me, that has always been what has given me hope. And I wanted to share that message with other people so that they can feel God's love for themselves the way that I feel it when I get into the Word or when I pray or when I ask for help and he just sends me a miracle. And that's, that's what gives me hope at the end of the day is that I know that there's a God in heaven that he is totally aware of all my suffering. He is counting all my tears. He is guiding me in my life and he's bringing this purpose out in me from all this pain. And there's a lot of it. There's so much pain that I can't even, I could write a book and it wouldn't be enough to describe all the pain that I've been through in my life. But it doesn't matter 
because he's still with me and he still loves me. And that gives me hope that there's there's a future. My favorite verse in the Bible is God plans to prosper you to give you a hope and a future. And I repeat that to myself when I feel like my future is hopeless because I feel like crap today and I don't want to do this anymore. I have a hope and a future. That gives me hope. I just couldn't go forward without that empowerment that the Lord gives me every single day of my life. Even just to do the Chronically Care Project because it's exhausting. I don't even (laughs) know how I do 100 care packages every time I do it. I'm like, holy cow, what am I doing? But I do it. (laughs) And he gives me the strength to do it even when I feel crummy. And so that gives me hope. Beautiful. Well, thank you for being here. And I will have all of your information in the show notes. And I might try to convince you to stick around for a 4 a.m. bonus content piece. And you can tell us something funny from the farm or whatever, you know. (laughs) All right. So thank you, Claire, for being here. Thank you for being open about your journey and everything that you and your family have been through together. I am so grateful that you took the time to share, and I'm so grateful that you are taking your experiences and helping so many other people. Y'all, we are going to have in the show notes Claire's information and how you can go sign up for care packages for your chronically ill children or anyone else that is chronically ill in your life. And if you are one of Claire's fans listening in the show notes, we are also going to have information on how you can sign up for an Apricity Hope caregiver package. Thank you all. And we will see you on Friday where Claire is going to talk about farm life. Bye. Bye.